0: Dr. Stephanie, mm. long time.
1: Long time. I'm happy that we're here.
0: We, uh, I think we established this in the pre-call, but uh, I think it was 2016 that we saw each other less.
1: It's a long. That's that's too long. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, put you on the spot in front of people. Yeah, sure. You know, millions of <laughs> listeners. Um, do you remember where we met?
1: Where we met? Well, you were certainly my patient. TikTok. No, I don't remember the first Diesel. time. We met.
0: Diesel, oh Fitness. Gosh, yeah. Diesel
1: Fitness. Oh my gosh, Diesel Fitness. remember that?
0: Yes, it was I such remember. such a great gym, I loved it. Same. And it was actually one of the, um, well, that's the first gym that I joined when I came to Toronto. I was living in Northern Ontario, oh moved God. down yes. after moving from the East Coast uh-huh. and uh, joined Fitness, and or sorry, uh, Diesel.
1: And I had my nine by nine, nine on. Your mind. chiropractor there. <laughs> 100 and I 100 square foot office. And
0: I was in banged up shape.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a long time ago. Awesome, wow.
0: So things have changed for you, right? Yeah. I was looking here, like, uh, the estimate diet, um, mm-hmm. the better um, uh, podcast, the better podcast, mm-hmm. uh, um, Betty,
1: the Betty Body, the Betty
0: Body. Oh. Lots are going on. Yeah, switch over to entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. We've well, always been an entrepreneur, but you're taking it to a different level now. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that journey.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, uh, as you mentioned, um, graduated from the chiropractic college here in Toronto. Started a practice where I met you. Uh, my first. I actually remember when I graduated, um, speaking to a couple of other chiropractors thinking about joining their practice and realizing very early on that I was unemployable. So could not work for other people. I had to sort of do it on my own terms and opened up that small little shop in the gym. And so certainly, uh, being a chiropractor, running your own practice, uh, as you mentioned is is a form of entrepreneurship. You are the HR person, the marketing person, the salesperson, the technician, payroll, all everything. payroll, all the things, accounting. Um, it's called a startup. Yeah, it's called a startup, exactly. And did that for many years. I was in private practice for 16 years. So from Diesel Fitness um, and... I'm sure, I'm trying to think of some of the names that were there. I remember George. I remember George was there. George Chalker. Yeah, George was there. DJ George. Yeah, DJ George, yes. Spinning and DJing at the same time. So moved from there uh, and actually stayed in that uh, area. So in downtown Toronto. uh, Moved on from that gym. Opened up my own space um, uh, near the Thompson Hotel. I don't think it's the Thompson anymore. but
0: um, No, it's switched. I forget the name of it now.
1: Yeah, so uh, in a hotel. And then we had... uh, (coughs) there was an unfortunate fire that happened there. And then I had to move on again, same in the same sort of area in downtown Toronto. And over the course of my, we'll say tenure as a chiropractor was very successful, loved my patients, um, felt like I was doing a lot of good in the community, but also felt like there was something that was still missing for me. So, didn't feel like I was tapping into all of my talents. So certainly as a chiropractor, many people seek you out for neck pain, back pain, you know, you came to see me because yeah, you were like banged up to use your words. Also wanted to dive into nutrition. Also wanted to dive into stress management and mindset. These are things that all accumulate, you know, in aggregate add to someone's health, right? And the expression and the experience that they have. So, um, Started running a nutrition program in the clinic, was very successful, started running that online as well, and then was able to, with some of the, uh, you know, the income from online at some point had surpassed the clinic income, and that was sort of the hedge that I, you know, I'm pretty, a pretty conservative entrepreneur, you might say, so I wanted to make sure that I was able to at least replace the income in the online space before really deciding to close the clinic. Um So closed the clinic in April, 2019. And then from there, continued with the online program, started a podcast, um, as you mentioned, and then also wrote a book in 21. Yeah. So um, these are all, and and all of these things. So the Better Podcast explores how you can have better metabolism, better body composition, better hormones if you're a woman or a man. Uh, better relationships, better sex, all the things. And then the better, the Betty body is uh, for women, again, talking about hormones and how we should be living in alignment with our cycle, um, which is not something that's typically, ta- I wasn't taught it in, in school. I mean, we certainly learned about the menstrual cycle maybe for an hour or two, uh, but really didn't sense. explore how that um, that impacts mood, it impacts decision-making, it impacts energy, mitochondrial function, all the things. So the book is sort of the answer to that.
0: So tell me, like I, I was watching your video on the Betty Body, uh, mm. your promo video, yeah. and you really got personal in that um, in that video about the you know the transition you were going through at the time and uh, the direction you want to take. And I know, in our pre-call, we talked about you know in the clinic seeing patients like myself, you were able to reach a certain population, yeah. but you had more you wanted to do. You had. Uh, Uh, A bit of a mission of a a messaging that you want to get out and express what you went through as a woman. Yeah, Uh, dive into that a little bit.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, So I I touched on it a little bit. Um, So when we had when the clinic uh, with the original fire happened at the same time, so my clinic burned down, and then in the same month, um, my marriage essentially at the time was ending. So I had sort of these two really big life events uh, coincide and my health will say, and I would even say prior to that. So those are two really big things. They happen to happen at the same time. Um, You know, the old, you know, the old adage, like when it rains, it pours. Certainly that was there. But even prior to those events, I had always struggled with my menstrual cycle. So it was always very much, uh, you know, leading up to bleed week, let's say. I was very moody. I felt inflamed, lots of water retention, didn't have the same energy, not the same focus, not the same drive that I would have let's say in my follicular phase. So for anyone that's listening, the follicular phase is the first two weeks of the cycle. So that's bleed week. And then the week before you ovulate, ovulation is the middle of the cycle. That's when we release an egg for fertilization, uh, Whether or not you want to have a baby, that's just what happens. And then we have the luteal phase, which is the second half of the cycle. And that second half of the cycle is where a lot of women struggle because of the different change. Like we have this sort of different hormonal milieu. So the energy, sleep, moodiness, affect, all of those things can change. And then if there's any type of hormonal imbalance, um, those, those changes in energy and sleep and affect can be accentuated and i remember going to my own medical doctor and the the answer was just like here's some you know here's a here's a pill just for pain uh, management and there wasn't any dive into well let's actually look at your hormones let's actually test your estrogen levels relative to your progesterone levels let's look at your testosterone levels and see sort of the symphony of hormones and how they're talking uh, and the relationship to each other I talk about this in the book as well. Um, But for me, I was uh, what's called estrogen dominant in the second half of the menstrual phase. So um, when we think about sort of yin and yang, like progesterone needs to be a little higher than estrogen in the second half of the cycle in order for a woman to sort of feel calm and happy to have good sleep. And for many women who experience PMS, so things like the water retention that I mentioned, the moodiness, tender breasts, all those things... Um, that can be more of a sign of estrogen dominance. And that wasn't ever really addressed for me. So I always felt like my menstrual cycle was this curse. Like I always felt like it was this really difficult time of something month. Something to live with. Yeah, something that I had to live with just by way of my, you know, chromosomal sex, right? Um, and then started... Um, When I had sort of these two big life events, my health really deteriorated, as you might imagine. There's quite a bit of stress that happens when your career, I had to sort of scramble to find a place to continue seeing patients. I had two young children at the time. I was going through like a change in my family, um, so I wasn't sleeping Um, I was having trouble concentrating. Um, I remember there was actually one day, um, in sort of my makeshift clinic, I walked, like I squared the corner of the doorway that I was trying to walk through because I was so distracted with something. I had just received, you know, a text, uh, like a really emotionally charged text and just squared the front, like, and (laughs) squared the, like just right, walked right into it with my forehead. I just had this big, um, welt. And my assistant was like, you know what? I think we're just going to cancel your patients for the day. You just need to go home and and just chill out. Yeah. Um, so through my own, so kind of getting back to your question through my own experimentation, uh, with nutrition, working with some of the patients in the clinic around manipulating variables like nutrition around their, their menstrual cycles, I was able to formulate a body of work that's now, you know, the Estima method or the Estima, uh, protocol where, Uh, we change the way that a woman eats based on where she is in her cycle. I also talk about changing the way that you train based on the hormonal composition, like where you are in your cycle. And now I'm in my forties. So I'm in perimenopause. So now I'm also incorporating a lot of perimenopausal strategies for women as well.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So the... Um, that might have been TMI. I, think, I, think <laughs> I the uh, No, that is what it is, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like you said, it's not um, information that's readily available for people.
1: Well, right? people don't talk about it because we've always... Females just in, in medicine in general have always been looked at as sort of smaller archetypes of men, right? So I think that it's just like, oh, you're... And I talk about this in the book. I've talked about this in lecture series as well. Even just as a very simple example, if I were to ask you what are some of the signs and symptoms of a heart attack... You might say pain down the left side of the arm, stabbing, shooting pain. And that's very true if you're male, right? For a woman, it's not often the left-sided shooting pain down the arm. She often has a really bad headache or indigestion or like flu-like symptoms.
0: And they don't complain.
1: And they, and they don't, com- but it's not that sort of prototypical like stabbing sharp pain yeah. down the left side of the arm. So there's been so many women who have let's say presented to an emergency room, having being in the process of having a myocardial infarct, having a heart attack and being turned away because the signs and symptoms weren't ever Standard. recognized, right? So I think that more and more I'm starting to see, and maybe it's because I'm sort of entrenched in the literature and entrenched in, you know, the uh, you know seeing my colleagues put out more and more information. We're seeing the that change, but I would say generally, um, You know, if you walk into, even as a 45 or 48 year old woman, if you walk into your um, medical doctor's office saying, Hey, I'm having some heart palpitations. You know, Oprah, I think she recently said, she recently released this video that went viral. And she's like, I was 48, I was having all these heart palpitations. And my doctor, my female doctor, gave me an angiogram and then put me on heart medication. And it's like if Oprah's doctor, Oprah, you Oprah, know,
0: arguably should we get the best care. Yeah,
1: she's gonna get the best care, best access to resources. Her female doctor missed that the cluster of symptoms that she was experiencing was part of perimenopause. Like what chance and hell did all the rest of us have, right? Yeah. So it's just really about educating women in terms of what are some how are we different, how are we unique, and how does that change over the arc of your life? Hormonally, metabolically, you know, physically. Uh, and then how can we advocate for ourselves?
0: So where did you start? So you're you're shutting down the health loft at the time. Yeah. You're going through this personal experience mm-hmm. um, after the incidents that you're talking about. Yeah. Where did you start? You, you obviously had a light bulb come on that you, you had a business here and you wanted to reach a broader audience. Yeah. What was your start? Where did you focus on first?
1: It was first, the, the nutrition program was first. So I was running that in the clinic. And then I was like, you know... I want, so I had said before, I really felt like I was called to serve more people and not necessarily be limited to my geography. And we were talking about this before. So I was in downtown Toronto, obviously the, you know, the financial district, we had all, all the cool cats in King West, like (laughs) coming to the clinic like you. Um, um, And then, you know, I had people kind of driving from out of town and stuff, but it's still very local, right? So even if you extend it out to the province, I'm still only reaching one province in one country.
0: And you can and, only see so many patients in a day. Exactly. Right? And
1: you can all, o- yeah, and there's like, there's a limit, you reach a ceiling in terms of trading time and trading your time. Like your time is also a finite resource, right? So um, I wanted to reach more people and I wanted to get away from the idea of sort of trading time for money um, to sort of leverage um, my expertise to be able to reach more people whenever wherever. So it started with the nutrition program. So we were running it in-house and then I changed that into an online clinic. And I think I was also telling this to you as well, like after I closed the clinic, there was, there was a grieving period for me. I didn't do a lot. I I closed it in April. And then over the course of the summer, I had patient transfer files and some of the admin work that happens when you transfer a patient. But most of it was just, it was a slow and kind of, ugly summer, we'll say, because it was very, um, um, it it was a grieving process for me because I had been, you know, a doctor in the community for however many years from diesel all the way to, you know, 2019. And, um, I had to sort of redefine who I was. If I wasn't this community leader where people would come and give me all of this positive feedback all the time, you've helped me, you've saved my back, you've saved my marriage you know you help fix a man or a woman's pelvis and all of a sudden they have a better sexual a better sex life right so um i had to really shed that call it identity um and then build a new one so i had always wanted to start a podcast that was something that i had always dreamed about i always thought that there was and i still think that it's true that there are a lot of really big male podcasters in the science realm um, and and otherwise, but in this in the science realm in particular, there's a lot of big names in podcasting, and rightly so. They are you know deservedly um, have the all the sort of followers and and um, um, applause, if you will, that that they that that is that is theirs. But I don't see a lot of women reach the same height, and I think that there's a lot of a lot of us who can speak the science, can understand the science, and then more importantly, translate it for the layperson. Because sometimes medical terminology can be a language unto itself. So being able to translate what I like to call like doctores, right? This like sure. all these fancy words into, okay, what does that mean for me right now? I don't see a lot of women in podcasting reaching the same level of success as many of our kind of male counterparts do. So
0: Or addressing the female issues.
1: Or right. Or addressing the, differences, the female I should issues. Say. Yeah. And there I mean, there's a couple of um, men who I have looked up to for many, many years and have you know, since become friendly with them. One of them, uh, for example, is is Dominic D'Agostino. So he's sort of a pioneer in ketogenic research. And when he first started, he would do very much a kind of classic ketogenic style diet, which is more of like a four to one, um, or even um, what I advocate for if you're thinking of starting a ketogenic diet is more of a 70-20-10, which is 70% fat, 20% protein and then 10% carbs.
0: And does it, sorry to interrupt you, but does that differ male versus female or are you?
1: Well, yeah. So one of the things that's really interesting is when I had him on the show, he was saying, you know, it's really interesting. I noticed that women don't actually respond to the ketogenic diet long-term in the same way that men do, which has also been my observation. So in that nutrition pilot that I had in the clinic that I translated into an online program, also noticed that men would lose a lot of weight. They would really change their body composition quite drastically on that 70-20-10. and women could do it for a, a period of time. And it was almost like their thyroid just was like, "This is not," you know. After a certain amount of time, they stopped losing weight, and I would say it even started to reverse, where they would start so not to just a plateau.
0: Weight. They were gaining it. Yeah, they would start to That's gain weight,
1: doing the same thing, and a certainly. Um, you know, when I was talking to Dom, he was saying, I think that it has to do with like the protein content. So he's often observed, which has been very similar uh, to my observation, that around a 40% protein content for, or composition, we'll say, of the diet for women is actually much more um, appropriate long-term than protein restriction. So first, I was so happy to hear that we had sort of the same observations there, but he was also, it was one of the first times that I had heard sort of one of the bigger men in this space acknowledge that there's something different about female physiology and our need for protein, let's say, um, and even carbohydrates. Um, our need for carbohydrates is also a little bit higher too.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So.
1: I don't know if I answered your question there, but. I think you did. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so as far as the podcast goes, yeah. you've been on the air for how, how many years now?
1: I started it in 2019. So it took the summer off, as I mentioned. So closed the clinic in April, and then we started in uh, October of 2019.
0: And how many episodes?
1: We're at 300 and... I don't know the exact number. 310, I think,
0: maybe. incredible. Yeah. Um, and you've had some incredible guests. Um, what has what that been like? You know, it's you don't start getting guests like yourself on a podcast right away. What was that, the challenge there for you to, to, to ramp up one audience, but obviously bring in the guests as well? Because that's the, that's yeah. the content, right?
1: Yeah. So I originally reached out to my network. So I had already had some colleagues um, that were, you know quite well known, let's say, and we had them on the show. So maybe the first ten to fifteen episodes of the podcast, if you go in and sort of look, you'll see that these are people from my immediate network. And um, I the way that I have differentiated myself, even from other female podcasters, is just I work. It's very obvious, I think, um, and this is—I'm not trying to. I'll just—I'll just say what I'm, I'm thinking. I, I work really hard in the prep. So I was saying to you, I had a cancellation today, uh, which we've—we've we've already rescheduled. But I spend days prepping for a conversation, and before I have someone on the show, I have easily 20 to, in some cases, 80 pages of notes from either their book, from research that I've hold myself from studies that I've read that I want to pull into the conversation. And I think that that translates into a better conversation rather than just talking about everything that they've you know you've listened to one guest on one show and they they sort of have their talking points and they say the same thing on every single podcast so I will listen and I try to figure out what those talking points are and then avoid them (laughs) because I want to. it's it's
0: very evident I was thinking about that so obviously my research for you coming on today was listening to your podcast I'll tell you a funny story last night my wife and I are laying in bed and last minute prep and She's watching a show on Crave or something on her phone. I'm on my phone and the caption says something about menstruating on the top. And she mm-hmm. looks over at me. She's like, something you want to tell me?
1: Yeah. <laughs> She's like, is, is Aunt Flo coming
0: to town?" <laughs> but, um, but, uh, sorry, I just went to blank there where I was heading with that. But
1: prep, prep for the podcast.
0: Well, you know, your podcast, it's evident that you're, you're prepped. Like your, your podcasts are like, you're bringing very knowledgeable guests on, mm-hmm. but, uh you're really diving in deep and it's, it's very, it's a two way street on the conversation. So yeah, uh, it's, thank it's you. very evident.
1: Yeah. Thank you. So that, so that was sort of the marketing strategy. It was like, I'm just going to be the best. I'm just going to be the best interviewer. I'm just going to know the stuff better than other people. And that's going to be my USP. That's going to be my unique sales proposition is I know the stuff I can have wicked conversations and we're going to provide amazing value for, um, for our listeners.
0: That's, that's a great segue because um, into my next comment or question. You and I had a great conversation the other day, and one of the things that I loved and really identified with was when you went through what you went through emotionally in your personal life yeah. and, and, and with your business and the fire and all that, everything that happened, mm. and you get all this off the ground and launch yourself and reinvent it yourself. I call it the, your, you know, Dr. Stephanie's evolution, but it's more of a revolution, mm. right? Um, I like you that. talked about you always bet on yourself. Yeah. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that is. Well, I'll say I think to be a an entrepreneur in general, I think you have to be a certain kind of crazy. I think there's a certain you're just the salmon. You're just like you want to swim upstream. You don't exactly. to, you don't want to go with the flow. And I would even say that even even in the you know if you're going to be a successful chiropractor, um, there are many people who graduate from chiropractic college who don't run successful practices, right? Um, there are many health coaches who become accredited but don't run successful coaching. And I think that if you are going to be uh, a successful entrepreneur, I think that there's a certain type of person, there's a sort of prototype that I think about, which is maybe someone I can tell you from my childhood was bullied quite a bit. Um, So certainly there's some uh, some trauma there that I continue to unravel with my coaches and therapists. But I think that there's a certain drive uh, that successful entrepreneurs have that are different, let's say, than than the masses. And one of the things that we were talking about is, so I closed the clinic and it was a very difficult process for me to do because I had been doing it at the time for 16, maybe around 16 years. So connected. Yeah. So it was so connected to my, my ego, my identity, who am I? I'm the chiropractor of the King West community in downtown Toronto. I've served tens of thousands of patients. And so, so that was really a It was integral to who I viewed myself as in the world. And I had no idea whether or not my online diet program was going to be successful, my podcast was going to be successful, that anybody would ever care to read my book. And the thing that I had said to you in the pre-call is, I had, and even even with the divorce, truly, um, and I'll also just preframe this by saying I have a great relationship with him now, and we've worked really hard on it. But at the time, I don't care if you're Gwyneth Paltrow; like it's you know, it's, it's difficult it's to get tough. divorced, and you add kids on top. It was just it was, it was heartbreaking. It was very difficult. But I I knew that I was choosing myself. I had no idea how I was going to be successful. I had no idea how I was going to get there. But I knew that I could all. I will always bet on myself and win. I, I know that I, I will fall off and somehow I'm like a cat. I'll land with my feet on the ground somehow. I don't know how it'll happen, but I'll figure
0: it out. That's great. i love to hear that. Yeah. So you have all these different things going on, right? You, you have the, the podcast, you're writing, you're coaching, you're speaking. Yeah. So tell me about, break that down for me. Like as far as focus, time focus, mm-hmm. like how do, you, how do you manage all that? And, uh, and number two, what, what do those revenue streams look like?
1: Sure. yeah. So podcast, um, I typically record one day a week or two, uh, which is usually Tuesday, and then maybe I'll I usually save Fridays for kind of a lighter day or an extra interview if I can. Um, and so we the podcast in the beginning made absolutely no money. It was actually uh, it was a, I would say cost quite a bit of money to produce. I mean, you know, you have mics and cameras and you have to do the audio, the AV and everything afterwards. Um, but I really wanted proof of concept. I wanted to, sh- I didn't want to take any advertising money, any affiliate money, anything like that until I could demonstrate that this was a podcast worth listening to, that it had legs. Um, so we went maybe, maybe two years actually without any, um, it was just cost that I incurred in order to get the podcast up and running. Now we have, uh, affiliate relationships. So this is more of an American, uh type of model where we have a, I have a large American audience. I have about 63 ish percent of my audience is American. 20 to 25 is Canadian. And then the fill is the Commonwealth, you know, it's like. That's great because now you're hitting your goal, which was
0: not being so pigeonholed to geographical location, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I have my Aussies, New Zealand, and I have some English speaking, you know, some European countries and, and so forth. And we actually do really well in Bhutan. <laughs> it's like the happy country. So I'm always like number two or three in Bhutan. Anyway, so um, we have an affiliate model. So there's American products, let's say. And if you hear on the podcast, like, um, you know, if you have, if I have a Greens product, let's say, and I say, here, go to this link and use code Dr. Stephanie, right? So that's an affiliate kind of model where I get a small kickback from whatever anybody who uses that code I sort of make a kickback so there's a couple of products that I love and that I use myself that we have as affiliate we have affiliate relationships with we also have sponsorships so um, uh, an example um, that we've had in the past is um companies that show up to your door they can take your blood work they can look at your hormones they can look at your let's say cortisol levels testosterone levels thyroid levels do a full blood panel Um, and it's all online so the thing I love about that particularly as a Canadian uh, but also as an American is that you can sort of bypass the gatekeepers like if you go a lot of times I I actually hear this from women all the time who suspect that they have a thyroid issue and they'll go to their medical doctor and say you know I've I've listened to a couple of podcasts on Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and I think I might have some, you know, issues with my thyroid. Can we run some tests? Cue the eye roll. Cue yeah, right. They'll they'll eye roll or they'll only test one or two markers. They won't run a full thyroid panel, which you can't make an informed call on what's happening with a thyroid if you just look at, for example, thyroid stimulating hormone. I won't get I won't bore you with the details, but if you just look at two markers of the thyroid rather than the seven that are there, you're not getting the full picture, right? So if your doctor doesn't agree with or doesn't know how to interpret those labs, he or she might be like, you don't need those. All we need are these two things over here. So they sort of gaslight you in a way. So there's these companies that have popped up um, again, on the, that entrepreneurial spirit that sort of bypass those gatekeepers where you can pay. It's, it's out of pocket. Um, so I know Canadians hate that, but you know, you pay for it. You either pay for it in your taxes or you pay for it, you know, up front. So, you know, you sort of choose where, where the payment comes from. Uh, you can pay these companies directly. They come to your house, they blood draw all the things. And you have a, an online printout of of your labs and then you can make an informed decision about what and you can have a conversation with your doctor or you change doctors or whatever so those those types of companies for example have spent 10 20 thousand you know for sponsorship on the show for ad you know for us to talk about the products and again my um my modus operandi for allowing any advertisements is that i have to use the product myself and be absolutely it. love it yeah. yeah so we have we have sponsorships, affiliates for the pod. Um, I also do coaching, as you mentioned. So, uh, so many I have mentioned chiropractors, health coaches, naturopaths. You know, anyone who's not sort of a medical doctor, and even medical doctors who are looking to expand their practice. A lot of us don't have that entrepreneurial savvy. And even when I started in, I had no clue what I was doing. Like I had this much clue, like zero clue. So I had to sort of learn. And so I'm trying to shorten that learning curve. So it's 95% an
0: entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs, right. right. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's like, I had no idea, but I was going to figure it out. And it was super scrappy. Like I figured it out in a super scrappy way and over a longer Delta. So what I'm trying to do with other doctors, other practitioners, other health coaches is kind of shorten their learning time. So we coach them on you know what I like to call sales and marketing with integrity and and certainly the female centric protocols that we've kind of lightly been discussing. A lot of people you take these sort of advanced degrees and you learn about the menstrual cycle for you know maybe one, two, maybe three hours. and it's actually a very complicated, intricate dance. There's a lot of different uh, systems that come into play with a woman's reproductive, reproductive cycle. So I go through all of that science, uh, teach them how to develop protocols for women for a variety of different hormonal kind of conditions. So there's coaching, which is a revenue generator. You know, people pay for those courses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then speaking, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, we have speaker fees, um, where people will pay me to come out and speak and talk on a variety of topics. So I I go to corporations and I talk about um, how we can uplevel productivity. Uh, you you since you've you know you've known me for a long time, I've always had a fascination and and a love of uh, brain metabolism and neuroscience. So we talk a lot about in the corporate world, at least how we can um, up-level productivity and how we can hack for, I don't like the word hack, but hack are hormones for let's say, improving testosterone, impo- improving dopamine, right, in the corporate setting. Because when we think about dopamine, this is a neurotransmitter that's involved in winning. It's involved in the hunt, let's say. Um, so how can we get more of that sort of hunger uh, to achieve and to do more and be more? So I talk on, you know, I'm a speaker, uh, and then I have revenue that still comes in from,
0: from the book as well. It's great. Yeah. And, and what's your breakdown? Like, what's, what, what takes up most of your time right now? What, what's your...
1: Uh, I would say between coaching
0: and and the podcast.
1: Yeah, those are the those are the big ones. Uh, I would say I was just saying to you, I think before we started recording or maybe we were already recording, but the podcast prep takes up a lot of time because I am so dedicated to myself being a learner and an eternal student. So I want to learn. The, like whoever's coming on, I want to know their body of work probably better than they do by the point of time that they it come on the like show. <laughs> yeah. So that, and that's just a, that's a core value of mine is learning. I'm, I'm a, I'm a student for life. So that takes up, that takes up time. And then the course design and supporting my clients, you know, my coaching clients, let's say my practitioners, um, that takes up, probably an equivalent amount of time in my week. So those are sort of the two big, uh, we'll say time, you know, commitments that I have in a week. And then the speaking is more one off. It's, you know, an afternoon or, you know, it's, it's not every week that I'm speaking.
0: So, you know, we've established very well that uh, most of your focus is very on female health and wellness. Yeah. And, and my focus on entrepreneurship and leadership uh, for, for this, these discussions, we uh, talked to me about being a woman in business and, 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 the effect is there.
1: Sure. Yeah. This is going to be for your team. It's a very broad (laughs) broad
0: question that we could be here for days on. Yeah, totally.
1: uh, Well, I, I would say that generally the corporate structure has been set up based on a male's cycle. And I say that having a male partner, I have three sons, like I love men. So I just want to make sure that this is not construed as like this anti, like down with the patriarchy garbage. Like that's not what I'm talking about. We, we love men. Um, but the corporate sort of world is, is very much set up on this circadian kind of 24 hour clock. So I always like to say, you know, men are like the sun, women are like the moon. So the sun rises, you know, pretty much at the same time and sets at the same time. Uh, and we have the same kind of men are very much like the sun where you will cycle through testosterone and estrogen, uh, in a very predictable way every single day. And women are not like that. Women go, instead of cycling through those hormones in a 24 hour period, women will cycle through those hormones in a 29 and a half day period. Uh, period. So they sort of mimic the moon, right? That lunar cycle. And so there are times of the month for a woman where she does feel like the huntress, like she does feel extroverted and chatty and she's aggressive and she can take risks, but there's other times of the cycle where she's not. So I think it's important, you know, if we sort of think about corporate culture, it's like we get to work really early and the early bird gets the worm and we have all of these early meetings and then Maybe you meet someone for lunch and then you go for the five to seven you know drinks or happy hour or what, what have you, and then you go home at the end of the day. You know this is really set up to kind of mimic the flow of testosterone and estrogen in, in a man's circadian cycle. so testosterone for men highest at the beginning of the day and sort of has this slow slide kind of you know slowly lowers over the course of the day and estrogen sort of has the opposite effect so estrogen lower in the day and kind of rises towards the end of the day which is why men tend to be chattier in the afternoon and evening versus in the morning. So actually, my partner uh, Giovanni, what we how I've sort of set up his day is he doesn't talk to anyone before twelve. <laughs> like he's in his office, he takes no calls, he does no emails. He just does. That's his strategy. That's his like deep thinking time, right? And I'm I'm trying to set that up for him in in honoring his um, sort of hormonal profile, right. For me, it's
0: interesting because we're so as society it goes and as the workplace goes, we're just so in that nine to five mode yeah. all the time.
1: Yeah. Okay? And for women, that's not necessarily the case. We're not necessarily all of our deep thinking happens in the morning every single day. There's going to be some times where we are feeling very extroverted. We are, you know, that sort of, and that would correspond for the women who are like, yeah, I feel like that sometimes it's that week before you ovulate. So week two of the cycle approximately is where we see that rise in testosterone for women. Um, And then after she ovulates, the testosterone kind of drops. So she's a bit more introverted. She's a little bit more kind of okay, I'm going to get shit, like, you know, pardon my French, but you know, she, we're going to just get stuff done, right? She's going to organize the house. She's going to get her office or whatever in order, but she's not necessarily best suited at that time to make a really big decision, let's say, because her testosterone is a little bit lower and this is not sexist. It's not, it's just kind of what's happening hormonally. Um, so I think as a woman, if you can Get to un- And every cycle is different. So that's not to say every woman is like this on day 21. Every woman is like this on day 20. There's certainly variability there. But if a woman can kind of get to know the ebbs and flows of her own cycle, she'll be able to schedule podcasts on her cycle. She'll be able to ask for a raise, you know, when she has better access to, uh, more vocabulary. When we see estrogen high estrogen, there's receptors, uh, all over the brain for both testosterone and estrogen. But when we see estrogen surging, we will see her use more vocabulary, have more uh, ability to express herself more succinctly. Um, like I was saying, presentations and podcasts and asking for raises and reorganizing things and getting things organized on the back end, all those things sort of can pan out over 28 or 29, you know, depending on the length of her cycle days. So I think the, I mean, my book goes into a lot of detail, um, that I'm sort of skimming over here, but I would encourage anyone who wants to live in harmony with her cycle to, to pick up the book and, and read through it and see if there's a way that she can kind of get to know herself a little bit better.
0: So here's a different way, a question. I'm gonna take a different angle on this. Sure. W- what do you tell people like myself, right? Blair and I are the founders around here, but like I told you the other day, we built up uh, our entire leadership team are female. Yeah. All of our directors are female. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all of our staff are female. What do we need to take into account? What uh, What do we need to know and what, you know, what are the do's and don'ts? Well, I think that most effective in the the workplace with with our team.
1: I think the first step is having the women on your leadership team understand themselves. So as I said, not all cycles are different and cycles change over the course of a woman's life. Right. So her cycle in her 20s and her 30s is going to start changing in her 40s and in her 50s. So if the if the female herself can learn about her own cycle, then she can begin to advocate for herself and she can start playing around with her own schedule. And this is not to say that you know if she's like, hey, listen, I'm not taking that meeting because I'm not in week two. Like that's not what we're <laughs> not what we're saying here. It's like if you can optimize, if there's a way for you to move things around on your calendar, awesome. And if not, um, you know, then understanding how you need to support yourself, you know, whether it's. Chemically, whether it's nutritionally, whether it's exercise-wise, supplement-wise, stress management-wise, there's things that you can do. Like it's not always possible for me. I have a podcast recording every single week, so it's not possible for me to say, "Hey guys, sorry, like I'm I'm in bleed week this week. Like I'm not talking to anybody. Like I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to do that." Um, but there are practices that I have that change over the week, uh, over the weeks, I should say, to support my cycle. So in terms of uh, leadership, first, I would say get every woman. Ha- having a really good understanding of her own cycle. Two, three months is kind of enough time for her to accrue enough data to start to suss out some patterns. Um, and then maybe there can be a meeting about it. I think that would be so awesome. If there could be a communal meeting, if you have a leadership team of men and women and you can say, Hey, and if you have a lot of women working together, there's a lot of science that actually suggests now it's, there's still some debate around it, but it's often the case that women that are working in close proximity with each other often will cycle sync with each other, meaning that they are usually similar to, they're in this, usually in the same phase of their menstrual cycle when they're often working together. So you may find if there's conversation in your company around where people are, where women are in their menstrual cycle you may actually be surprised to find that a lot of them are actually like syncing, they've kind of synced up with each other. And that might be a fun opportunity for you to say, okay, so can we have this open house here, or we can have this marketing meeting here or whatever. And then you can kind of look at it as a, um, um, you can look at, planning out your content, you can look at your marketing, all of that based on your leadership's um, cycles, which would be like really like- I think
0: there's a lot of walls for those conversations to start happening, right? That are, yeah. that are up for you, but uh, I agree, like, like as employers, especially post COVID and like what happened during COVID, sure. we're, we're being forced to kind of adapt and, and look at alternative working styles, mm-hmm. right? So uh, there, there's no reason why conversations like this can't happen.
1: Well, if you speak to um, my partner, Giovanni, who uh, you've met, He'll, he's the first person to say that he knows more about menstruation than, sure. any, <laughs> than any man that he knows. I don't
0: think anybody expected my first podcast episode yeah. to have so much cycle talk. <laughs> All about <laughs> menstruation.
1: But I feel like that's such a superpower for him, right? Because he also knows, and I've I know myself enough now to know when I need a little bit more emotional support, and he also can kind of pick up on those signals as well. So I think that there's a beautiful dance that he and I have in our personal relationship, but we also work together as well. Right. So he will know, Hey, you know what? I'll just take this call. Like I know you don't want to people right now. Like I know you're hating everybody right now. So I'll just take the call. My wife's going to watch. I want you watching (laughs) Stephanie's
0: podcast?
1: (laughs) Taylor, this is a very good, this is a really good, this is a really good strategy. But there's some times in the month where you're so much more extroverted. Like there's times where I feel I love people. I want everyone over. I'm going to entertain. And then there's parts of my cycle where I'm more introverted. I just need kind of recovery and recharge time. And those are the times where he takes the calls or he does the, you know, the meeting instead of me. So um, something to think about. And I think, you know, you're talking about the sort of post-COVID world. And I would just, I think it would be so for like fast, it would be forward thinking of you and the company to be considering the different bio, biological needs, let's say, of your leadership team. That would be beyond awesome.
0: That's great. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. Okay, I got three uh, quick final questions just to wrap up here for you. So your podcast, you've had some really incredible guests. Um, Give me your top two favorite guests.
1: Top two favorites. All
0: right. Not that you didn't love them all, but... I I
1: mean, favorites, favorites. We all have them. Same with patients. Uh, I would say, um, God, I think Dominic D'Agostino was a highlight for me because he was sort of my hero from afar. I had followed him for years talking about the ketogenic diet. I remember him talking about fasting for seven days and then going out, he lives on a farm and then he went and did like a 700 pound deadlift or something at the end of the five days. And I was like, man, I just want to do half of what
0: you're doing. Some people are intense. Yeah. He's so <laughs> intense.
1: He's so awesome. And then him and his wife um, have become friends with time. So it's just been lovely. So Dominic D'Agostino for sure. Um, let me think, gosh, there's so many amazing people I've spoken to. I would say, can I give you three? Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Shafali Sabari who is the author of many uh, New York Times bestselling books, The Conscious Parent, The Awakened Family. Uh, she did a uh, she wrote a book on the radical awakening, which was talking about all of the female archetypes, you know, the martyr and the princess and the queen and all of these sort of archetypes that females take on. That was maybe one of my favorite conversations that I had last year. Um, one, two, and then... Dr. Robert Lustig was another, so he's a pediatric um, endocrinologist, retired. He wrote a book called Metabolical, which is a a portmanteau of metabolism and diabolical. So Metabolical, brilliant name. I think I had 90 pages, 80 to 90 pages of notes. It was basically an expose of sort of big food and big drugs, uh, big pharma, if you will, and um, how they are often... Um, you know conspiring and and he's you know as a as a someone who was working with children when he said he first started you know 20 30 years ago there was no childhood obesity and then over his tenure you know before he retired it was everyone was obese we had juvenile like everyone had diabetes all of these different diseases that we typically see in later adulthood you know 50 we see type 2 diabetes we see all of these different metabolic adaptations he was now seeing in eight year olds nine-year-olds and 10-year-olds so it was a fabulous conversation and he just gave zero f's like didn't care he just laid it all out in the book laid it all out um in in, on the podcast It was a great conversation
0: that's great and uh last two questions yeah favorite hood in Toronto
1: favorite hood in Toronto um I'm gonna go with Lawrence Park which is my hood nice
0: um Top three favorite restaurants. Don't, don't make me laugh. Don't make me laugh. Oh my gosh, so much pressure. Uh,
1: I think so. Tabouli, um, and any Lebanese restaurant. Um, but tabouli is particularly good.
0: I swear um, it's been five years since I've ordered or gone to Tabuli, like, oh, And I loved it. I used to hit it all the time. They have
1: the best like their rice is perfect, their hummus is perfect. Um, I think it's stock. Is it stock T C? They're that on is. uh what are they, they are, um, oh my goodness. They're on Avenue, no, they're on Young Street just north of Eglinton. Okay, what is it? It's like Canadiana, Americana, it's just great food but they're, they're a branch of um, an Italian restaurant that I'm blanking on, Adelaide Street in a bank. It's like the Adelaide Street Bank. What is the name of that restaurant? Oh, um. They have I'm a couple not. of different, they have a couple of different spots. Like there's one in Summerhill. Oh my goodness. What is the name of that Italian restaurant? Are
0: you talking Troni? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's on Adelaide Street. Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. I can't remember the name. We'll put it in the show notes because I'll, I'll look it up when we're done, but I can't remember the, they're a branch of like stock comes from the same parent company um, so that's stock. I said tabbouleh, and S T K, which I knew I was gonna make you laugh, but I do in love S T K. In which
0: I do love eating at the S T K, but yes. I've had a recent experience. But yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's all good. I'll definitely go back.
1: Yeah, yeah. I always and I'll also for all of these restaurants, I'm always eating at like five o'clock or six o'clock. It's always like the you know the senior special. That's are, you,
0: are you strict fasting?
1: No, I just I find that when I eat. Later in the day, i it it affects my sleep.. Yeah, okay. so I have you know trackers that i that I wear overnight, and whenever I have food late like two to three hours, if it's if I don't stop eating let's say two to three hours before I go to bed, my sleep, like I'm, I get hot or I wake up or my, I don't have enough deep sleep or my HRV. All these different factors of my sleep are sort of thrown off. So I stop eating about two to three hours before. So for me, that means about five or six o'clock because I go to bed at nine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm barely nine. I, I put the kids down at 7.30. Okay. And if I make it out of their room and I fall asleep with them, yeah. then it's like 8.30, So yeah. I
1: yeah, feel yeah. You there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, where can people reach you now?
1: Um, so you can listen to the podcast. Uh, that's a free resource. It's called better with Dr. Stephanie every week where, you know, on iTunes, Spotify and YouTube now. Um, so that's a good free resource to kind of get to know me and get to know the content that we put out. Uh, the book is called the Betty body. You can buy that on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, wherever, wherever, you know, books are sold. Those are the two best places. And then I'm also pretty active. I try to be, um, I, least try to post a couple times a week on instagram so that's dr stephanie estima on instagram
0: what about the estimate diet
1: so you can go to dr stephanie okay, as it's well all there. yeah yeah that's
0: great i can't tell you how much i appreciate this you know i reached out to you we haven't talked in like how many years yeah not for any reason just life yeah, and yeah. uh i think you got back to me within minutes and said sure can't wait let's do it so yeah i, I really you just appreciate it pick it up right you just yeah. pick
1: it up where you left off Absolutely. with good people yeah thanks so much thank you